You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good afternoon and thanks very much for joining us. A Global BC camera crew was right there when a tractor trailer rig burst into flames on the side of the Coquihalla today, just inches away from bone dry grass. It happened between Merritt and Kamloops. The driver got out okay and tried unsuccessfully to fight the flames. Just all of a sudden, there was just all of a sudden smoke bellowing into the cab. The fire was coming up through my shifter and it was just in the second that I got, I thought, first thing, I want to separate the hydro load from the tractor. By the time I got out there, and I whipped that gear down pretty quick. <laughs> the whole cab was engulfed. <coughs> and you're obviously fighting these flames. What did you... <coughs> I emptied out my whole canister. I got a fairly big... No, not a chance. I don't know whether an oil line broke or a transmission line or something, but it just all of a sudden, the whole thing from the bottom. And the fire ignited some grass by the side of the highway, but luckily a pump truck was scrambled to the scene and the fire didn't spread any further than that. Ironically, the truck was carrying supplies for hydro crews who are repairing damage from the wildfires. And we begin our coverage of that crisis in the province right now. Some good news on the wildfire front. Significantly fewer new fires broke out yesterday. Calmer weather being credited for the decrease and helping crews on a number of fronts. Our Lynn Collier is live in Little Fort tonight. And Lynn, we're getting an exclusive look at this battle from the air. Yes, Chris, BC Wildfire took us up and over Little Fort today. You really get a sense of how surrounded this tiny community is by wildfires and how important an aerial perspective is for fire crews. It's just burnt right to the rocks. Day five of the Little Fort fires and eyes from above are the only way crews on the ground know where to go. The access is quite tricky to the fire uh, and given the topography, it's, uh, it's fingered off into different areas, uh, steep ravines, steep draws. So the crews are having to be very cognizant of, of safety hazards in the area. The tough terrain means six helicopters are needed at Little Fort. Pilot Brad Von Conet is making more than 100 water drops a day. How he releases the water depends on what the crews need. Sometimes we're doing a big fan drop over, you know, open flames, or sometimes they might have a, you know, a burning stump or something they want a, a drop on, a spot drop on. The Bambi bucket has an electrical cord that runs down the long line. The pilot controls the pattern of the dump when the helicopter is in position. And how much water are you dropping every uh, time? This bucket holds 270 gallons. So that must be pretty heavy. Uh, it's 2,700 pounds of water, yep. It's amazing. Yeah, so you wouldn't want it to drop on you. The 400 locals who live in Little Fort have just been allowed home. They are now under evacuation alert, but no one's relaxing, not with this fire so close to their community. For us, to see a helicopter or an airplane coming up the valley is so exciting because it, it's help. And I'm just so thankful that they're able to come and help us. And, and you know, every bit of water is, is just so helpful to us. Pam's family bought this land almost 100 years ago. Her son and daughter are volunteer firefighters. They've been on the front line since the fire started on Friday. 
And Chris, I can tell you, we've just got some breaking news on the fire front here locally. They've had to pull an air tanker and three helicopters that were fighting the Little Fort fire slightly northwest of us. There's a fire that broke out just a few moments ago. It's only three hectares in size. It's so new, it doesn't even have a name yet. It's at Lemieux Creek. And they don't know how it started, but they are on top of it. And we'll bring you the latest uh, as we get it. In fact, we're going to head there now. So if we can get you some pictures before the end of the show today, we'll bring them to you. Chris? All, all right. Thankfully, three hectares, still small. Lynn, thanks very much. Lynn Collier and crew, uh, we appreciate that. Now, to some new details tonight on the number of hectares burned by these wildfires of note. They're the bigger ones. More than 45,000 hectares. That's about 450 square kilometers. To give you an idea of what that looks like, here's a rough comparison. It's an area that's about the size of Vancouver, Richmond, Burnaby, New West, Port Moody, and most of Coquitlam. Large area to fight. Now, the city of Williams Lake has been on edge, on evacuation alert, as everyone watches and waits to see what the weather will do to the fires burning near that community. And our Sophie Louie is in Williams Lake tonight. And Sophie, so far, so good. Not looking too badly right at this moment, Chris, I can tell you that. We are at the Williams Lake Curling Center, and uh, you see a lot of fire trucks behind me. This is where fire crews from across B.C. have mustered to help with a firefighting effort around Williams Lake. Uh, We have crews here from the Lower Mainland, from the Sunshine Coast, Vancouver Island, and other parts of the B.C. interior, all here to lend a helping hand. They're here to protect the city of Williams Lake itself, and uh, of particular note, the mill here in Williams Lake, because as you can imagine, there is plenty of fuel in that mill should those flames creep closer to town. So that's what these guys are here for uh, today. Uh, But so far, so good. As you said, the winds that we were expecting for today don't seem to have materialized, uh, not to the strength that we thought they would, which is a very good thing. There are roughly 11,000 residents of Williams Lake, and they've been under evacuation alert since Monday evening. Some have already left. Others are packed and ready to go when the call does come, if it comes. But in the meantime, stores such as the Save on Foods are still receiving deliveries and restocking shelves. So uh, the town is still open for business for its local residents, but there are roadblocks all around it right now. Uh, Just bringing in with me Al Richmond, who's the chair of the Caribou Regional District, uh, who I know we've had on our shows quite a bit over the last few days. Thanks for joining us, Al. You're welcome, Sylvie. So I know you just got some news about 108 Mile House, which is where you're actually evacuated from as well. Yes, yes. I just came back from 108 Mile House, and we've said all along until we could contact the property owners who had lost their homes. We wouldn't uh, release any information, so I'm pleased to say I've contacted both property owners. We only lost two structures. I've just spoken to them within the last hour and informed them of their loss. And so uh, the rest of the people can breathe easy. I was able to contact one young lady who was very upset today just before I came down here and told her she hadn't lost her home. But the rest of them can interpret if I haven't spoken to them, they haven't lost their homes. Tough loss for those two families who did lose their homes, but as you say, what, 1,100 that were saved? About 1,160 homes are in the in the community itself, so there's 30 miles of road, 1,160 homes, and just so people know, there's still fire crews, uh, the 108 crews still in there, the forestry crews are in there, and other departments from around the province, they're still cleaning up hot spots. It doesn't mean that someone didn't lose a tree or two in their yard in that general area, in the general area of Block Drive, 
but uh, for the most part, uh, there's only two structures that have been lost. So evacuation orders for that uh, area, they're still in effect and will be for, for some time to come? They'll be some, for some time to come. And, and the other good news I had today, along with the fact that the weather event didn't happen and the crews have been able to continue to do good work, is that we managed to, to get, uh, yesterday they managed to get the power turned on to 108 and 103 mile. So those communities have been without power since Friday. Um, so while the freezers may be damaged, the power's back on and it won't be bad as when people get home. So that's the first step is being able to return, but we're ways off that yet. Okay, what about Williams Lake? We're still under alert here in Williams Lake, but uh, Wednesday was going to be a key day, we thought, according to the forecast. So what's the situation right now? Well, I think uh, all of us, Mayor Kauf and myself and the rest of the people are taking a, a big sigh of relief that the event didn't happen today. But as has been going on since the beginning of the event, Mother Nature has basically, we're at her, at her whim. So... Um, hopefully with the calm day today and if it continues tonight, the fire crews are really optimistic and that they'll be able to get a handle on it and build some more breaks, protect the city, and uh, hopefully we can take the, the anxiety that people in Williams Lake and surrounding area are feeling away from them. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for joining us, Al. Thank you. Al Richmond, uh, the chair of the Caribou Regional District. So right now, uh, it certainly feels like the tension is easing ever so slightly here in Williams Lake. Uh, still, folks are ready to go if they have to, but it's not windy right now, which is a good thing, Chris, and hopefully Mother Nature continues to cooperate. Yeah, so glad to hear the good news for folks in 103 Mile and 108 Mile as well. Appreciate that, Sophie. We'll check in a little bit later. Sophie Louie up in Williams Lake. Tense moments today. Uh, she mentioned the weather. A severe thunderstorm warning was issued for the Prince George area later this afternoon, and mm -hmm. that caused some problems. Meteorologist Christy Gordon has those details. Thankfully, again, those settled down a little bit, too. That's exactly right. So we were concerned for the entire area, uh, even where Sophie is, but it really just hit north of there in the Prince George region. So uh, firefighters were on edge all day long with the potential for lightning and gusty winds. And around four o'clock, a couple of major storms did develop just southwest of Prince George. However, luck was on their sides. These storms brought more rain than lightning and rain. And now the severe thunderstorm warning has ended. And uh, it, that is very good news. And we do not have any other major storms across the region all right hopefully that gives firefighters a little bit of an edge against mm -hmm. some of these big ones appreciate that christy and we'll check in with you a little bit later now the ashcroft reserve fire the wildfire that prompted the evacuation of that town continues to be the biggest burning in the province at more than 10,000 hectares today some residents are being allowed back in and as paul hasem explains it's thanks to the efforts of fire crews and locals that there's even a place to go home to on the outskirts of Ashcroft, the charred landscape is a constant reminder of just how close flames came to the community. For locals, Friday's fire is already burned into memory. Everybody's house just about touched here. Like some, some houses are just blessed. It was incredible. The flames traveled fast, devouring the tinder dry hillside in just a matter of minutes. And when the flames flared up on Thursday, that's when the boys at the Ashcroft Ranch jumped into action, doing anything they could to fight the flames and save any homes, including using this old front end loader, which was clearly in the middle of the action. Bombers just kept flying right over me because I was right on the fire line trying to stop it, building a barricade, and I got bombed probably six, seven times. and. Wyatt Rupert, or Puddin, as he's called at the Ashcroft Ranch, was first to spot the smoke. Today, they're unloading horses, but Friday, a much different story. 
Wyatt helped the rest of the ranch round up the animals after using his past fire training to fight the flames. They asked if we had equipment, so I brought the white loader and Dad brought the big tractor. We saved at least six houses over there at the res. Every scorched scar tells a story as locals worked with fire crews to fight an inferno. Firefighters saved this one house three times. They had to come back through the dam. And they're just tremendous effort from everybody on board. Hydro crews now working to get Ashcroft back on the grid. A surge of optimism for a resilient community that fought back and survived. Paul Hasem, Global News. Well, we've talked a lot about the human side of this emergency, but it's not just the safe relocation of people that's a challenge. It's also all the pets that come along with them. The Humane Society in Prince George is overwhelmed with animals right now, so much so they're expanding into an adjacent school to accommodate an extra 50 animals. Thankfully, donations are also pouring in for all those dogs and cats. It's been crazy. Uh, we don't, we've gotten more animals than we actually anticipated, and we're getting more animals. We don't really know what it looks like. We don't really know what long-term, how many hours or days or weeks that we're looking for housing these animals. Livestock also arriving by the truckload in Prince George. Of course, agriculture is a very big deal in the Caribou region. And while packing up yourself in an emergency situation is one thing, arranging the safe transportation of your horse causes a whole other level of stress and anxiety. For Williams Lake and 150-mile residents worried sick about their livestock, they are grateful for those who took the risk to save them. Somebody I don't even know, a lot of the kindness of her heart was willing to help. Definitely overwhelming. I've never been in this position before. Volunteers driving through the smoke and dark of night to bring dozens of horses to safety. More than 160 are now at the Prince George Agriplex, away from the smoke and threat of wildfire. Everyday people doing extraordinary things for the animals they love. It's a family more than I can explain, you know. Like when one of us is in trouble, we're all in trouble. So it's just no questions asked. Yesterday when I made the phone call to my personal friends that I needed them to follow me into the danger zone, they didn't hesitate, they didn't ask any questions. They said, Kate, let's get together, let's go and the help couldn't have come any sooner. Nicole Cameron describes a desperate scene in Williams Lake to save her animals. Moore Mountain was door-to-door -door being evacuated, and I'm right across from that. And because we have a mule and I didn't have a trailer, we started walking our mule down the road, and we're uh, about 12 kilometers down to the stampede grounds. Whisked away in the night, they are cared for by the Prince George Horse Society and its army of volunteers, people from as far away as Alberta, making the trek for a mission of love. They know that if I was ever in that situation, and we were in our area put in that situation last summer, that it's really beneficial to just have people have your back. Leaving evacuees with one less thing to worry about and ever grateful for the kindness of strangers. It's great to see happiness come out of such a terrible situation. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Sure is. Well, another sign of the dry conditions. Details breaking of a fast-moving brush fire in the 4100 block of Souk Road in Michosin. RCMP say the road is closed both ways, and they are advising people to avoid the area as they try to evacuate all of the homes in that vicinity. So we'll stay on top of that one for you. New details tonight about a double homicide in Vancouver's West End over the weekend. Police have now identified the victims. Ramina Dea is live with more on this in Ramina. Police also say two people originally taken into custody have been released, including one who lives in the building. 
Chris, residents were absolutely stunned to find out today that nobody is in custody tonight. They don't believe they're safe, but police can't hold someone for more than 24 hours if charges have not been approved. Both men handcuffed Sunday have been released. No charges have been laid. Police say the double homicide was a targeted, isolated incident and the general public is not at risk, but residents are petrified. Yeah, everybody in the building's scared, so... Everybody is having their locks changed because of the homicide. Keith Norwood says all the locks are being changed and a person of interest is not allowed back in the building. Somebody did the murder. They assumed it was him. They arrested him. But now he's loose. And they won't let him back in the building. Why won't they let him back in the building if he's innocent? Residents say the same man was seen by security walking by the building in the afternoon. Obviously very concerning, but uh, this is the law. So we are trying to work within it. And we don't want to break the law, but we want to protect the people that are living in the building. Police have identified both victims who live in separate homes in the beachfront tower. 57-year-old Sandra McKinnis and 51-year-old Neil Croker. The motive, still unknown. Residents say a man was seen at a nearby lock and key shop several times in the past month, making copies of keys. The store closed today, police interviewing a woman inside. 24-hour security now patrols the building. A warning letter has gone out to all residents. We don't have a choice but to to deal with it and take whatever action we feel is appropriate in light of those events. And we feel that we've taken taken actions that uh, mitigate any risk. I mean, I would not want to be walking these streets. If a guy double murder, what's going to stop him from doing it again? Uh, Well, Romina, anyone with sharp eyes would have picked up one line in that release to residents. If charges aren't laid, does it mean this person of interest could end up back in the building? Absolutely, Chris. And that's what they're extremely nervous tonight about. They're saying that they have been warned that he could be back as early as tomorrow. And they have been told, don't engage him, travel in pairs. And if you see him in the elevator, don't get on. Chris. It's amazing. I'm sure deeply unsettling for a lot of people there. Thanks very much, Ramina Day in Vancouver for us. Some breaking news involving a drug overdose that claimed the life of a 16-year-old New Westminster girl. Police say they've arrested a suspect believed to be responsible for selling drugs which contributed to her death. It happened back in May. Two teenage girls overdosed on what was later determined to be MDMA. Both were rushed to hospital, but the 16-year-old did not survive. Charges are being recommended. Charges have now been laid against a Surrey woman accused in that hit and run that injured two construction flaggers. It happened in Burnaby last month and it was all caught on video. Grace Key has more on the woman charged and what the flagger who was seriously injured says led up to the incident. It was a horrifying moment all captured on video. A white SUV strikes a flagger in Burnaby and then runs over her legs. Now charges have been approved against the driver, 38-year-old Brenda Uma Arge of Surrey. They include two counts of assault with a weapon, two counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle, two counts of failing to stop at a scene of an accident, and two counts of assault. Investigators want the best form of evidence and, uh, I guess, common sense. If you have a video of an incident, that's pretty good evidence. It happened two weeks ago on 10th Avenue near Kingsway. We're now learning the woman who was hit was a supervisor who was called out after another flagger first attempted to redirect the driver around the work zone. 
the traffic control people on site um, did try and and direct the driver of the white SUV out of the work zone, uh, but the driver was apparently unresponsive. Police say the driver hit another flagger down the road. He was not seriously hurt. The driver was arrested after police got a call about a woman who was assaulting two children related to her on a nearby street. The president of the BC Flagging Association questions if jail time is appropriate if this is a case of mental illness. If the judge deems uh, that she is fit to receive jail time, then perhaps that's appropriate. We did speak with the flagger who was struck. She says she spent four days in hospital and suffered a skull fracture and a concussion. She is able to walk after the vehicle drove over both legs, but she is undergoing extensive medical treatment. We've offered our assistance to her in any way that we can, but I think really just a little bit of rest and some time at home. Grace Key, Global News. Another vehicle has been caught speeding over the Lionsgate Bridge, although this time it's a little less exotic than the Ferrari busted going more than 200 kilometers an hour last week. This time it involved a smart car. You heard that right. Police say a smart car was caught going 139 kilometers an hour in a 60 zone. The driver of this car also seeing the vehicle impounded. Uh, so the driver, a 23-year-old North Vancouver man, was uh, served with uh, a uh, excessive speed violation ticket. And the driver was also uh, issued a seven-day uh, excessive speed vehicle impound. The need for excessive speed extends to Delta, where police pulled over a California resident for excessive speeding along Highway 99 yesterday. The 20-year-old clock driving 155 kilometers an hour. He had his rented 2015 Lamborghini Huracan impounded as well. The photo from the fire line that's burning up Facebook. No one questions the bravery of firefighters, but some are questioning their judgment after this picture hit the internet. In a province where campfires are banned, why are these guys acting like the rules don't apply to them? The backlash in just over a minute. The trillion-ton ice cube adrift at the bottom of the world. What caused the massive crack in the ice sheet? Coming up later. While the men and women fighting the fires here are working around the clock to keep these communities safe, a photo on social media is prompting some backlash. The photo shows a group of firefighters gathered around a campfire. Problem is, of course, campfires are banned in the region right now for obvious reasons. Needless to say, the ministry is taking it very seriously. Uh, there is an investigation ongoing, uh, and there, as I said, is a campfire ban in place, and that ban uh, is in place for everyone. And one last note on the wildfires. There is a huge need right now, not only for donations, but also for volunteers to help with all the fire evacuees. In Prince George, where there are now more than 3,200 evacuees, there's a call out for anyone living in the city who wants to help to come down to the Prince George Conference and Civic Center tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. So far, they've been relying on pre-trained volunteers, but with a growing number of evacuees, they need all hands on deck. And if you can help out, please show up to do so. In other news now, is it the beginning of the end of cheap money in Canada? And how many British Columbians are going to find themselves in financial trouble because of it? Those are the questions on many minds now that the Bank of Canada has raised its benchmark interest rate for the first time in nearly seven years. Ted Chernecki set out to get some answers. 
There aren't many Canadians walking around these days debt-free. In fact, most have never been so far in the hole. And that's thanks to almost a decade of ultra-cheap money from the Bank of Canada. And even today's quarter-point increase is a fraction of the double-digit price increases we've been seeing in the condo market. Prices are still going up at a rate that is much quicker than interest rates. So people, um, first-time buyers, don't want to be left out in the cold and, and kind of miss their opportunity to buy. There's nothing like an interest rate hike to instill fear in an already very scary real estate market. But apparently a quarter of a percentage point is no reason to panic. If you think about it, in 2008, rates were around 6% and we're nowhere near that. Most rates right now are 3%. And that's the bottom line is that there's no reason to panic. Even another quarter point rise later this year and possibly another in the spring shouldn't impact the real estate market even in Vancouver. Most large mortgages are stress tested to ensure homeowners can withstand the increases. But that's not the case for all that other debt out there like car loans and credit cards. Given the fact that rates are going to be going in one direction only and that's up, now's a really good time to be looking at should I be locking in for the long term so it gives me time in which to adjust and time in which to reduce other forms of debt and really improve my overall financial picture. It's remarkable to think many borrowers may have never known interest rates that actually go up. The last time they did, Vancouver was hosting the Olympics in 2010. But those days are over and everyone's been warned. Though the rate hike is probably manageable now, that may not always be the case. Ted Chernecki, Global News. A breakthrough treatment for leukemia and maybe other cancers to the experimental gene therapy that saved the little girl's life and why it may soon be more widely available. And the garbage that's killing bears in Coquitlam, what the city is doing now so residents get the message. It's been a devastating year so far for B.C.'s bear population. The B.C. Conservation Service says it was forced to put down nearly 200 bears in the month of May alone. That's double last year's total. The biggest problem? People. And that's one of the reasons the city of Coquitlam is cracking down. Linda Aylesworth reports. I put the carts out at the proper time. Being bear smart is easy. Even kids can do it. Even so, there are still residents of Coquitlam, one of the province's most bear smart communities, who are not following two basic rules. Lock up our garbage like um, to make sure that the bears don't get it and um, we put it out in the morning and not at night time. Remove all the tractants from your backyard. After 12 years of working towards compliance through education, Coquitlam decided it was time to see exactly how successful their awareness programs were. This year we conducted an unprecedented uh, citywide audit for about six weeks at the, starting at the end of April where we actually visited every single uh, street in the city, um, over 25,000 homes. What they found was that 17% of residents were failing to secure their garbage and not waiting until 5.30 in the morning on the day of pickup to bring it to the curb. As a result, the city decided to crack down. Uh, to date, we're at approximately 325 tickets issued for uh, attractant issues, and most of it is garbage being put out the night before collection, uh, violating the city's bylaws, a $500 fine. They've given out tickets before, but never so many. When you have the distinction of being the community with the highest number of problem bear calls in the province, you have to do something. We don't want to have to issue tickets. If that's the last option we have, we will. That doesn't mean they've given up on the softer approach, education and awareness. If anything, that's been stepped up too. 
Speed Bears Mart. No excuses. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Very cute kids and a good message. The anthem singer strikes out at the Major League All-Star game. Keep on <laughs> Why players and fans were crying foul with that sour note. And Continental Fracture, the massive ice sheet that just broke free from Antarctica. Why did it happen? So, you see this rough out there as it looks right here at the start-finish line. I tell you what, when they hit this uh, bit of... Uh... There's a live shot of Gastown where cyclists rule the road tonight. They just sped by. The Grand Prix is underway, taking over Cordova, Water, and other streets in the area. The Gastown Grand Prix is part of BC Super Week which is a series of cycling races on the Lower Mainland, drawing competitors from all across North America. Good luck to all of them as they race through Gastown this evening. Keep in mind, traffic is impacted in that area tonight. Now, the Washington Post has published documents that show the U.S. State Department spent $15,000 back in February for rooms at the Vancouver Trump Tower for some of Trump's children and their security to attend the grand opening. That's on top of the more than $90,000 to cover the cost of a trip to Whistler by Trump's daughter, Ivanka, and her family. The Trump Tower opening cost Vancouver taxpayers about $105,000 in policing costs. A giant iceberg more than twice the size of Metro Vancouver has broken off from Antarctica, sparking a debate over whether global warming is to blame. Scientists have been monitoring the one trillion ton behemoth since a rift began forming. And that rift finally made its way all the way through the ice somewhere between Monday and today. This isn't expected to have an impact on sea level because the iceberg was already floating. But it has changed the landscape of the Antarctic Peninsula forever. And it remains to be seen what the long-term effect will be. In Health Matters tonight, a breakthrough new cancer treatment could be on the horizon. An advisory panel has unanimously recommended the U.S. FDA approve the cutting-edge cancer therapy. CAR-T cell treatment genetically alters a patient's own DNA so cells can recognize and attack cancer cells. The treatment saved the life of 12-year-old Emily Whitehead, the first child to try it, and she's been cancer-free for five years. The FDA doesn't have to accept the recommendations of its advisory panel, but it usually does. In a local note, the BC Cancer Agency is doing similar gene therapy research with clinical trials expected to start in 2019. A Surrey resident gets a tenant he didn't ask for. It's definitely different. I've never heard of anything like this. Why, he's forced to go in and out of the garage instead of the front door coming up later. And foul ball, why the anthem singer at the All-Star Game got some stares last night. What a Canadian singer did during the national anthem that prompted some looks from players and fans. That story right after the forecast. And the forecast, a bit of a relief for a lot of people watching mm-hmm. the interior. We'll check in with Christy Gordon, who's been keeping an eye on things for us all day. Christy? 
Thanks so much, Chris. Yes. So here was the bigger picture across the province today. We are expecting stormy conditions from 100 mile north. Now, some of those storms did develop, but thankfully brought more rain than lightning and uh, winds. Uh, So that was good news for that area. 100 miles south, though, we were expecting hot, dry weather and gusty winds. And that certainly has developed in many areas. Princeton right now reporting wind gusts at 35 kilometers an hour. Ashcroft, 28 kilometer an hour winds. Here's a map of some of those peak wind gusts extending all the way along the Coquihalla Highway and as well Highway 5, potentially up towards the Little Fort uh, fires there. So uh, we could be seeing some gusty winds in all of these areas uh, through the next few hours, but hopefully they will die down overnight as they typically do. But tomorrow we're expecting them to pick up once again. Smoke advisory still in effect for much of the province, although conditions cleared out across southern BC. I had a look at the smoke forecast for tomorrow though and it looks like it's going to be very smoky from Williams Lake north through Prince George into the BC Peace River but it should be clear again tomorrow across southern regions which is great news for fighting fires. They can get up above those fires and look down. Now the forecast for tomorrow is pretty much a carbon copy to what we saw today. Northwestern coast wet. Not where we would like the rain. We'd like to shift further south and it won't. Tomorrow though from Prince George through Quinell Williams Lake. We again have that risk of thunderstorms. We'll be keeping our eye on the sky for again lightning and windy conditions tomorrow. Further south of a 100 mile house, hot dry conditions and again we talked about those gusty winds potentially through the afternoon hours. Exactly where we'll see those gusty winds uh, we'll have to wait and see. Now for the south coast it is very dry out there. We haven't had any rain since June 20th when we kicked off summer. It definitely kicked off summer and we're going to continue on that trend but please be careful heating up friday and saturday by the way uh to warmer temperatures 26 27 degrees inland happy anniversary to doris and don haslock celebrating 70 years and same for bernadette and john critchley i hope you're all having a fantastic evening and it's time for our weather window today is we love water wednesday today's photo is by sue reedman this is her granddaughter kinsley watering their tomato plants thanks sue cute photo and And yes, planting in pots does save water. Now, we would like to see your We Love Water photo, but we want you to show us how you're saving water, not just enjoying water. Chris, you'd be amazed at the number of photos that have been sent in of people boating and kayaking. Uh, Yeah, we would really like to see you save water, if you don't mind. That is the point. (laughs) Oh, okay. Good stuff. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, it seems the combination of the Canadian National Anthem and Major League Baseball's All-Star Game is a recipe for controversy. You remember last year it was the uproar over one of the tenors changing the lyrics. And last night, Canadian singer-songwriter Jocelyn Alice sparked criticism for giggling at one point during the anthem. And the reaction of one Blue Jays player has gone viral. God keep our land <laughs> glorious. Jays infielder Justin Smoke happened to be on camera at the time. The guy next to him noticed, too. And his priceless reaction has lit up the internet. Jocelyn Alice later tweeted that she giggled because she saw some fellow Canadians on the big screen and she was simply overcome with excitement. And in sports, to blow up or wrap up? That is the question. We defender one of the points to blow offense player up. Uh, that's not always the best way to bring a ball carrier down. A closer look at the art of tackling in sports and a neighborhood that's really gone to the peacocks the colorful residents right at home on the front porch coming up
So if we take that money, which brings our total to seven hundred fifty dollars on the night. Gastown Grand Prix, and it's going on downtown right now. One of the best events to watch through the streets of Gastown for cycle fans and many others. Good party atmosphere down there. And at the end of this sports cast, I'm going to show you what happened last night in New Westminster at their inaugural Grand Prix. Yeah, it's a whole week, it's a whole week of events. It's nine it? races in ten days. Yeah. All across the lower mainland. All right, okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about Alfonso Davies. Mm -hmm. You may think the CONCACAF Gold Cup, which is going on right now, is introducing Alfonso Davies to some of the big teams in Europe and around, and around the world who might want to buy him off the Whitecaps. And that is true to a point. But actually, some teams have already checked out the Whitecaps 16-year-old prodigy. For example, Liverpool and Manchester United have both sent scouts to watch Alfonso Davies play. Now, the good news for the Whitecaps and their fans is he cannot go to Europe until he's 18, and he doesn't turn 17 until November. That means Vancouver has him this season for sure and next season. After that, who knows, because his upside looks huge. And he has three goals already in two games at the Gold Cup. And watch this goal last night. See him just standing there, waiting, 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 and then the sprint. That's the finish. That's, well, yes, the finish is hard, strong, but I love the fact he knew what was coming. Sprints by the defender. The only bad thing last night, right there, the little ankle turn. So he had to leave the game, but uh, they say he should be fine for Friday's game against Honduras. Is tackling in football a lost art? Well, we have talked a lot about linebacker Solomon Elamimian ever since he became a BC Lion in 2010, and for good reason. He is one of the best tacklers in the CFL, and he does it in a rather efficient, fundamental, old-school way that is not as spectacular as a lot of football players would like their tackles to be. There's blowing up. He is walloped. And then there's wrapping up. Take a wild guess which form of tackling is favored more than the other. Yeah, I think when you blow a guy up, you want to set the tone, let him know you come, be, you be real physical, be coming all day. You got one bullet, shoot your gun. They tell you to shoot your gun, and your posse coming. That's what I like doing. I want to, I want to break a man's wheel. So more, much as you hit him, you can tell. You can tell once those licks start coming. A lot of times, you want to go blow somebody up, but you know these guys are big too. You know what I mean? The running backs, the receivers, they're big too. So if you go blow him up, he can blow you up and keep on running. Game time, show time, 5-6, all day, baby. There's no better tackler in the CFL than reigning defensive player of the year, Solomon Elamimian. And what makes Soli so good is he's perfected the art of bringing a ball carrier down either way. One thing I learned early on is uh, a term one of my coaches used, capture, don't kill. You know, you always want to capture your opponent. Sometimes it's not best to try to kill them. As a tackler, uh, you know, he is textbook. Uh, you know, he... Uh, wax you, uh, brings his hips, brings the arms. The point of a tackle is not to necessarily to destroy the guy, it's to get him down. Every defensive play must end in a tackle or they're scoring. If you're still a dummy about tackling, consider class now in session. I like to say it is the eyes, it is the hands, and it's the feet. You want all those three things to be in sync. You want to always keep your eyes open, you always want to wrap up, and most importantly, you want to keep your feet moving. Because a lot of times you see guys still have their eyes up, 
they're wrapped up, but their, their feet stops. And then a, uh, um, the, the running back or the guy ball carrier could slip out of them. You know, the, the biggest thing between guys that are good tacklers and guys that aren't good tacklers is a want to. You have to want to put your body at risk because, you know, obviously we're delivering the blow. But, you know, when you deliver a good hit, you absorb, absorb it yourself. So, you know, well, there's a chance that you might get hurt also. So it all comes down to want to. And fundamentals is a big thing about that also. Jay Janower, Global Sports. And the BC Lions have cut veteran kicker Swayze Waters. He was one of their big off-season signings with Richie Leone gone, but he hurt himself in training camp. That left the door open for Ty Long, the rookie who has now gained Wally Buono's confidence after a rough first game. You know, since 2003, the Wimbledon men's champ has either been named Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, or Federer. Nadal went out earlier. Djokovic got hurt today. He's out. Murray lost to Sam Querrey, so the only one left standing is Roger Federer. He was taking on Milos Ronic today. Now, Ronic beat him last year in the semis to get to the finals where he lost to Murray. This year, uh-uh. Oh, Federer was much the best. Easily won the first two sets. Ronich was better in the third set, as you'll see here. He took it to a tie break. But I think taking the French Open off is what Federer did. Really allowed him to get ready for Wimbledon. Save some strength. Save some energy. Yeah. When he's playing like that. No, it's not happening. You're not beating this man. He has won 18 Grand Slams. Thomas Burdich is next for him. That's a semifinal matchup for Roger Federer. We'll see how he does as Wimbledon plows along until the end this weekend. Oh, last night, New West Grand Prix. Here we go. The winner, Florence Nauer, after getting on the podium, proposes to his girlfriend, Alicia. He won the race and he won her heart. <laughs> How about that? Now, that was, now, I'm sure they love one another, but that wasn't, that wasn't an enthusiastic hug. Well, that was a little bit well, he, shocked you, he about the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Plus, he, he was had really, just finished up a race. And he's really sweaty. That's really a very good point. sweaty. Yeah. Very good point. Thanks, yeah. Squire. Checking with Andrew and now with a preview of Global News at 11. And? Thanks, Chris. And we are learning the fire on Vancouver Island in Souk is now 100% contained, but not before one home was destroyed. No one was injured in the brush fire that suddenly sparked up late this afternoon. Some road closures, however, do remain in effect in the area. And closer to Vancouver, we are looking into the latest incidents of excessive speeding. Do police have a way to stop these dangerous drivers in their tracks. We will have that story and the rest of the day's news when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris? A Ferrari and a smart car in the same impound lot just doesn't seem <laughs> right, does it? Uh, okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the... Uh, what is it? What is it? It's this giant bird. It's a peacock on the front porch. That's next. <laughs> For years now, a Surrey neighborhood has been harboring a secret unknown to anyone beyond its own boundaries. It's so neat. <laughs> Unusual wildlife that wanders the streets at will. And as John Waugh reports, one resident has even surrendered part of his home to a miracle of nature. For now, this is the only way into Jerry Barr's Surrey home. Understandable when you've got a peacock perched on your front porch. I don't even know what's in her to put, them, put the eggs right there, but it's definitely different. I've never heard of anything like this. To be more accurate, it's called a peahen. And she's been hunkered down on Barr's welcome mat for the past couple of weeks. You know, she decided to 
you know, put her precious gift on my front doorstep and never thought for a second to even touch it and just give her respect her and give her her space that she wants. Hey, how's it going? This close encounter with the nesting kind, just a matter of time. In this Surrey neighborhood, peacocks are a part of daily life. They jump on people's cars, they're on people's roofs. I think it's pretty neat that they feel comfortable enough to just lay their eggs on somebody's front door. But how exactly did peacocks become a staple of this Surrey community? For the answer, you have to travel way back in time to the early 2000s, when this entire area was farmland as far as the eye can see, and peacocks were brought in as a feathered feature. But then the developers came, the farms were sold off, and the peacocks were left to fend for themselves. They're not a wild animal, but they are a feral domestic animal that would typically be on a hobby farm. And they decided to take up residence in this neighborhood. While they might be nice to look at, these peacocks aren't always the best neighbors. So usually the black vehicles, the reflection, they see the other peacock in the reflection, they start pecking at it. You know, that could be a little bit of property damage and insurance issues there. Hey. Still, the bar is vowing to protect this peahen and her young from predators. After all, before the playgrounds and picket fences, peacocks were already calling this part of Surrey their home. John Hua, Global News.